John chapter 10. And in the Lord's gracious providence, uh, not to any of my planning, you know, because I was going to be preaching on this passage uh, where God brought us for holiday. The last March holidays was to a, a farm in Malaysia. It's called a UK farm. And they have this uh, sheep challenge. Okay, so there's like five sheep in this enclosure. And then the team of, uh, you know, five people will have to go in and to try and catch a sheep. Okay? So uh, me and another adult with, you know, with some of the kids went in. And the tour guide said, it's a really difficult challenge. Hardly anyone succeeds in catching the sheep. Okay? Because these sheep, they've been trained. You know, we've got people running at them and they, they just know to run away. Okay, but I'm proud to say that we caught the sheep. So I actually got my hands on the sheep, carried it, and uh, so, you know, I had, I had first-hand experience of sheep. Because all the sheep that we come across, it's, you know, it's already in mutton form. So because Jesus is using uh, the language of sheep, we need to understand something about sheep. And when Jesus says sheep, you know, no one is thinking smartest animal in the world, right? When Jesus says sheep, no one is thinking, ah, what grace and agility. See, because sheep are actually quite slow and vulnerable creatures, they, they are so stupid that if there is a pool of clean water on one side and a pool of poison water on one side, they, they don't know better. They will actually drink the poisonous water. They actually have need of a good shepherd that will lead them and care for them. Sheep on their own do not survive. Now, the other important point to note with Jesus using this metaphor of sheep is that we, we are the sheep. We are the really uh, ones who are in need. We are the ones who are, you know, without a shepherd, we would be lost. See, it's not just here. Again and again in the Bible, we are compared with sheep. And the Bible doesn't do that to, you know, dumb us down, but rather to help us see, like, sheep, we have great need of a good shepherd. Now, um, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we hear what Jesus has to say to us here. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that we have your word, and we thank you that it is you by your Holy Spirit who takes your word and opens our eyes to see its truth. So Father, I pray for everyone here that you would give us the years to hear what you are saying to us today. We pray that we may hear the voice of our Good Shepherd calling us, that we may indeed follow him and have life, and have it to the full. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now look with me to verse 1 to 6, where Jesus presents this, this metaphor, this parable. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, there's two uh, background information that you need in order to understand this. The first one is uh, what we had for our responsive reading, Ezekiel 34, right? which is one of the uh, longest passages that use this sheep and shepherd metaphor. And you saw in Ezekiel 34 that God is... Uh, charging the leaders of Israel with being a bad shepherd, right? judging them. And then he says, I, I will rescue the sheep. I will tend them. I will bring them out. And at the end, he says, I will send my servant David to be their shepherd. So when he's using this sheep metaphor, these Pharisees that he's speaking to would know the background of Ezekiel 34, how, how God called down judgment on those leaders and how now Jesus is calling them, these current leaders of Israel, to be thieves and robbers. They are, they are no longer fit to be uh, shepherds of his people. And how God himself will come and rescue them and how it is his servant David. And Jesus is saying, all this is being fulfilled as I speak. So that's the first background. The, the second background is uh, what the people would have understood about shepherding in the first century. So I have spent some time in uh, Australia and I've been to farms. And on those farms, the way they shepherded you know, was uh, on, a, you know, on a tractor with sheepdogs. You know? okay, but that's not how uh, sheep herding is done uh, back in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day... This sheep pen that he's talking about is uh, most likely a sheep pen of a village. So the whole village would have uh, one sheep pen and you know, many, many families would have their sheep inside this sheep pen. And it would be stone walls to protect the sheep from you know, some elements of the weather. And there would be one gate. And there would be a person in charge of that gate. So the, the hireling or the gatekeeper, he would only allow... You know, the people that he recognizes as the owners of the sheep, the shepherds of the sheep, to come in. Right? That's why Jesus says in this metaphor, the thieves and the robbers, they're going to come in by some other way. You know, so maybe the, shep- the, the, the gatekeeper is in front, and then the thieves will come in by the back, you know, quietly slaughter a sheep and then throw it over the, the fence. So Jesus says, all those who came before me, they are the thieves and robbers, but I come in, I'm the true shepherd, I come in by the gate. And the shepherd, when he comes in, there would be sheep that belong to different families. And so the way the shepherd would lead them out is uh, the, the sheep actually know his call. So maybe each shepherd would have his own distinct call, like, you know, and then those sheep that, oh, know this call, they will, they will follow the shepherd out. Okay, but you see, in the, in the parable, Jesus actually pushes the parable. He actually says, you know, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. You know, he actually pushes the parable. You know, so Jesus is saying, yeah, sing in, you know, Carlson, uh, Fluffy, you know, you come. And then the, the sheep, they, they, they know and they, they follow him. So, so this is the, 
the metaphor, the background that we need to have uh, in order to understand what Jesus is telling us. So that's the, that's the picture. But what does he want us to understand? Now, after laying out this parable, Jesus begins to explain what he means. And you see, as uh, Yenchin read it, he goes from saying that he is the gate to saying that he is the shepherd. So, I mean, is he the gate or is he the shepherd? Right? How can the gate turn into the shepherd? Okay, so don't get confused. Jesus is simply picking up and using various aspects of the metaphor. He's, uh, he's developing the metaphor. So he's trying to say one point by using the, uh, the aspect of the gate and saying another, expanding it by saying that he is the shepherd. So he is both gate and shepherd in the sense that he specifies. So look with me to verse 7 to 10, where Jesus explains in what ways he is the gate. So verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he says positively that he is the gate to this sheep pen. Okay? And he is the gate in the sense that, verse 9, if anyone enters by him, by that gate, that person will be saved. He will go in and come out and find pasture. Now the language that Jesus uses here, okay, very likely is taken from something that Moses prayed in Numbers 27. Okay, so Moses, you know, looking to the future, prays to God, and he says, May the Lord appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You see the, the language of going out, coming in, finding pasture, being, being led to, to, in security and safety. You know, sheep that have the abundance and security because they have a shepherd. And Jesus is saying, you know that prayer that Moses prayed? It is being answered. It is me. I am the answer to that prayer. He is saying, I am the gateway, the true gateway to all of God's blessings, to rich pasture. And this pasture that he's talking about is life, life to the full. And that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to enjoy God's blessings. Now, throughout this book, Jesus offers life. Right? Sometimes he calls it eternal life. Sometimes here it's called life to the full. Now, what is this life? What is this eternal life? What is this life to the full? Is it that you have so much life that you know, it just goes on and on? You can just sit and watch your fingernails grow. You, know, you have life, so much life that you, you have time for that. Or does the phrase life to the full refer to having abundant things in this life? like how uh, there are 
false teachers and false churches teaching that if you believe in Jesus, there will be that prosperity, health and wealth. This is that abundant life that's promised here. You know, three cars, you know, four sofas in the, in the living room, even more than in the late Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. You know, abundance of things, all that you ever want and need. Is that what this life to the full is? Well, what it means is what Jesus tells us it means. And in chapter 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, it is a relational thing. It is, it is truly coming to know God and to know His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to the testimony of Rashid. Now, Rashid is a Pakistani who, when he became a Christian, was rejected by his family and whose wife was forced to leave him and take his daughter along. <clears throat> and he says, Some might conclude that my life is pitiable. After all, every evening after I finish my shift, I go home to an empty flat one not filled with the gleeful shouts of a six-year-old child. When I go to bed at night, there is no one beside me to say, I love you. I never expect to hear from my parents on my birthday or on any other day for that matter. The only noise in my home comes from the television set and that I do not watch very often. But to pity me would be to miss the joy I have experienced. I believe things are better now than they were before I became a Christian. My house might be lonely. My, my house might be quiet, but I am not lonely. My family might have forsaken me, but I am not abandoned. I have Christ, and that is enough. Indeed, it is more than enough. In my eyes, I have been blessed beyond measure far greater than I deserve and more than I could ever have hoped. You see, this is someone who in entering that gate, that gate which is Jesus Christ, has come to find life to the full. Jesus is that gate. He is the one who offers that, that eternal life knowing Him, knowing the only true God. So that's what Jesus says uh, positively. But now look at what He says negatively. In verse 8, He says, If it's a true gate, <clears throat> then all who came before me are thieves and robbers. And then in verse 10, He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So you see what Jesus is saying? He is making a unique and exclusive claim. He is not just a gate. He is saying that he is the gate. All who came before him are thieves and robbers. Now, of course, he's not saying <clears throat> that you know Moses and Abraham who came before him, you know, those are thieves as well. No, he's not saying that. But he's talking about all those people who are directing, directing people away from him, directing people to a way other than him. 
he is talking about other people, those people who are promoting another way to pasture, another way to have life. He's also talking about those people who say that all gates lead to the same pasture. So Jesus clearly and unmistakably rejects them. He rejects them all. They are all thieves and robbers. I and I only, I am the gate, he says. Now, hard as this may be for some of you to hear, the implications of what Jesus says here is that all other religions, all other religions who claim to offer the way, they are to be rejected as a false way. Or all other, you know, things that sound like Christianity, look like Christianity, but not ultimately offering the Jesus of this book is also to be rejected. Because only Jesus and the Jesus of this book, the one that comes to us in the testimony of this book, only he is the gate to pasture, to be safe, to have life. I am the gate, Jesus says. Now, instead of, you know, maybe the temptation to outrightly dismiss what Jesus has to say or, you know, not take it, not take what he has to say here too seriously, let's consider how and why Jesus is able to make such a bold claim. In fact, Jesus lays out three reasons behind his unique and exclusive claim. He says there, number one, that Jesus lays down his life for his people. The first reason why he can make such an exclusive claim is because he lays down his life for his people. Look with me to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is the unique and exclusive gate into eternal and abundant life because he is the good shepherd who lays down his life. Now you see, in the first century world, you could not say that of a shepherd, even of you know a shepherd that is really, really great. You see, at the most, shepherds in those days, they would be prepared to defend the sheep. You know, so the contrast is, you know, when the wolf comes, the hired hand, you know, he says, okay, if it's a small wolf, maybe I'll fight it off. But if it's a, you know, two, three wolves coming, the hired hand says, okay, okay, I can't win this fight. The hired hand will run away. But the shepherd, because he owns this sheep, I mean, the family is dependent on this sheep. The, the, the shepherd will do his best to defend the sheep. You know, he will risk his life. But that's, that's at most what shepherds in the first century would do. They would risk their life. They would be prepared to risk even their lives for the sheep. But Jesus is pushing it. He is saying more. He says, I actually lay down my life. It's either the sheep perish or I perish. I will not let the sheep perish. I perish for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. He doesn't just, okay, I'm prepared to risk this much. 
No, he has actually gone this far and laid down his life. The language here is of sacrifice. The good shepherd sacrifices himself on behalf of the sheep. He dies so that the sheep don't have to die. He dies so that the sheep can have life and have it to the full. See, that's why he can offer the eternal life to the full to all who come to him. That's why he is that unique and exclusive door. But I want to ask you, you know, do you have someone in your life that's like that? I mean, you know, all this that we were hearing for many of you is not new, right? That Jesus died for us. But I want to say to you, don't, don't take that for granted. Because you, you know, you, you look at, you know, the friends that you spend time with, the, the family that you're committed to, you know, the, the, the heroes or the idols that you may have. Any one of them, I'm asking you, is any one of them, these people, any one of them prepared to lay down their lives for you? Can you think of anyone? You know, the friends that you're so influenced by, the celebrities or idols that you spend so much time, you know, pursuing, reading about. Any one of them is actually prepared to lay down that. You know, when the, when the choice has to be made, it's either your life or their life, they will choose yours. Is there anyone? So don't, don't, don't be too familiar. Don't take for granted what Jesus is saying here. He is that good shepherd. He is God come in the flesh. He is that great son of, of David that has come and laid down his life for us. He has actually done it. The choice was there before him and he made the choice for our life. He dies for us that we may have life and have it to the full. So that's the first reason why he is that unique and exclusive gate. The second reason is that Jesus will successfully call other sheep. Jesus will successfully call other sheep. Okay, look at verse 16 with me. I have other sheep that is not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So you see the, the sheep pen in the metaphor you know, refers to, to Judaism. So Jesus says, I have other sheep that do not belong to Judaism. I have other sheep that, that are not Jews. I will call them and they will listen to my voice and they will come. It's talking about Gentiles. It's talking about the people from other nations. It's talking about you and me. If you have heard the voice of the shepherd and you have responded to his call and you are here a follower of Jesus, you are what he's referring to here in verse 16. He has successfully called, you have heard, and you are now following him. And this is why I love, you know, I love John chapter 10 because as I've told some of you before, my grandmother, you know, after a lifetime of idol worship, you know, offering Jostics every morning and you know going through all the rituals at the age of 86 you know as she as she as she faces the imminent prospect of death and you know all her her body shutting down her 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 mind you know slowing down 
and there's no peace that all this idol worship can give her. And then reading the Bible, reading the Gospel of John, and reading chapter 10, she, she actually heard the voice of the Good Shepherd calling here. And at the age of 86, said, clear the altar. Clear the altar. I have no need for this because I have a Good Shepherd now. I now have peace. I now know life. Hey, this is this is what Jesus is talking about. This is why he is uh, that unique and exclusive door because he calls and his sheep listen and they follow him. They come to him and they have eternal life. You see, he is the true doorway to life, not just for one small exclusive group of people. But for anyone, anyone from every tribe, language, and tribulation, everyone, anyone is open to, or anyone that he calls out to, that has ears to hear his voice, that are his sheep, he is that saviour, he is that good shepherd for them. Now reason number three, why he is the exclusive gate, is because Jesus is acting under the command of the Father, of the true God. Look with me to verse 17. He says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. See, what is on view here is that Jesus stressing his dying and his rising again. It's not something that he's doing independently. Rather, his death and victorious rising again. You know, the, what we will celebrate at Easter. Jesus died and died for us, but he did not remain dead. He rose to life victorious as a confirmation that he is able truly to offer that life to all who come to him. But he's not doing this independently. He's being obedient to the Father's command. His dying and rising again is part of God's plan. Is part of God's purposes. See, that's why He can be that unique and exclusive gate. Because behind the words of Jesus, I am the gate. Behind those words is the sovereign plan and purpose of the true and living God. So there you have it, the three reasons why Jesus is that gate. But as we and I want to ask you, you know, we, we, hear, we hear this, of, of the good shepherd laying down his life for us. Of, of the good shepherd, as we know, at the end of this gospel, how he laid down his life was going to the cross on our behalf. And I want to ask, you know, does the cross, does the gospel still excite you? You know, when you, when you hear or when you read what Jesus has done for us in the laying down of his life for us, does that excite you? Does that, does that cause, you know, some degree of awe and, and, and wonder to arise out of you? I mean, you, you have to ask yourself, does that, when was the last time you were, you were moved by this. When was the last time you, 
you, you reflected on this and you, you gave thanks. Yes, thank you, God, for sending this Savior, this good shepherd to die on, in my place on my behalf. When was the last time you, you, this moved you to awe and wonder? And the reason why I'm asking is because if you are that true sheep that has, that has genuinely heard the voice of the shepherd, you know, what the shepherd is saying to us is this. I mean, this is the main heart and core of his message to us. I mean, to hear his voice is to hear the gospel call. To hear his voice is to hear, hey, see what I've done for you on the cross for your behalf. And so, okay, I mean, you've you, you got to hear me and hear me carefully. I'm not trying to judge anyone. Okay, that is not my purpose, but I am, I am saying that if you honestly ask yourself and you reflect on your life and, and, and you, in your heart of hearts, you know that the gospel, the message of the cross doesn't actually excite you. It doesn't actually move you. You don't feel anything special about it. You know, maybe it's other things about Christianity that excite you. The warning is that maybe it's because you are not truly his sheep. You see, because you may have heard a lie, and you know, we may have been responsible for the lie, but there's a lie that's going around Christian circles. And that lie is that, oh, if you have said the sinner's prayer, or oh, if you have been baptized. You know, you've gone through baptism class and you, oh, that, you are a Christian. Or, you know, you, you raised your hand at some evangelistic meeting and you, you went forward, someone prayed for you. Okay, ah, that makes you a Christian. That makes you one of his sheep. No, that, those things are lies. Those things are lies. You read this book. This book does not say anywhere that, that, you know, that one event of something that you did, of raising your hand, saying a prayer, or you know, getting baptized, that makes you a Christian. No, no, no. In this book, it is very clear. It is the day to day. Yes, I am following this shepherd. I am his sheep. I hear his voice, and I follow this shepherd, and there is an evidence from your life that you are following this shepherd. There is an evidence that that what he has done, what this shepherd has done for you is, is at the core of your being, is something that is important to you, the gospel, who this shepherd is. These are the things that indicate that you are a true sheep. Not just that once-off event of you getting wet, or you said something, or you raised your hand. That is a lie. And so that's why I said, hear me carefully, I'm not trying to judge you, but it is a warning, because it is... I mean, to think that you are truly a sheep when you're not. And then if, you know, um, you know, people know something about that but don't tell you, that is completely unloving. So hear my words as being uh, motivated by love. Are you truly following this shepherd? Is he your good shepherd? Now, the other thing I want to say is, I mean, as we read this passage, you know, the, 
the metaphor of shepherd and sheep. I think there are many of us who can relate to this because there are so many of us here who have been given the privilege and the responsibility of being under shepherds. You know, so there's a great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, but he has called, you know, he's called, you know, uh, Andrew, you know, Nick, myself, you know, to be under shepherds. He's called the elders. He's called the deacons to be his under shepherds. He's called the Bible study leaders to be under shepherds. And, 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 you know, because, because this is what I do, right? You know, the word pastor, pastor is just, you know, another word for shepherd. Right? So, so, you know, it's so easy to get caught up with trying to be a good under shepherd. Right? And, and, and because I, I am weak, I have many weaknesses, it's very hard to be a good under shepherd. And I know, you know, some of you, you know, you're facing the responsibility, okay, the, the Bible study group or this ministry that's under your, under your care. Or some of you are, are under shepherds in a different way. You know, you're, you're teachers and you're trying to care for your class or you're under shepherds in the sense that you have children. You're trying to care for your children. And I'm just saying, the burden of leadership and responsibility sometimes can just wear us down. And we lose sight of the fact that we are sheep first. We are sheep first. You see, we, Jesus is saying, you are my sheep. I am your good shepherd. And you know the profound truth that I've come to learn? The only way to be a good under-shepherd is to recognize that you are sheep first. That you are sheep dependent. That you are sheep that needs the, the, the good leadership of the good shepherd. And this good shepherd has come and he says, Hey, 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 just, just, just follow me. Okay, I'm the true gate. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the one that will lead you in and out. I'm the one that will bring you to the, to the good pasture. I'll bring you to the, the, the good water. Okay, just follow me. Okay, you, don't, 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 you, don't, you don't have to take all the burden yourself. Just follow me. Just listen to my direction. I mean, hear the words of David, Psalm 23, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Right? So as, as we've got to remember that you are under shepherd second. You are sheep first. And as a sheep, you have a good shepherd. And if, and, and if the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. Because this shepherd, he makes us lie down. In green pastures, he leads us. He, bring, he knows what we need as we follow Him, as we listen to His voice. He's the one who will bring us to those still waters. He's the one that will guide us along those paths. But He's the one that will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, when, you, when the shepherd leads them, okay, and then there's some danger that comes, what, does the shepherd expect the sheep to fend for itself? No! I mean, you... Just think about the, the image that the Bible is portraying to us. Right. He leads me through the valley of shadow and death. I just have to follow Him. It is a shepherd that is fighting off. It is a shepherd that is propelling the enemies. I just have to follow. I just have to listen to His voice. I just have to not stray from Him. We are sheep first. Are you looking to your good 
shepherd to care for you? Or have you been too burdened by the, the, the stresses, the responsibilities of life? No, no, you are sheep. First look to your good shepherd. He's the one who wants to take care of you. He's the one who says, my, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. I mean, he's envisioning this, this great intimacy of relationship. Okay, listen to the voice of your good shepherd. Follow him. May God help us. Amen.